Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help you ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never have to have a spooky time. It's Ruined. Hello, welcome to Ruined. I'm Hallie. I'm Allison. And this is a podcast where we ruin a horror movie just for you. And this is a bruise on my chin because I was in a a car crash. Yes. A car has crashed. Two cars crashed. A car has crashed. Um, How you feeling? How you doing? My, ne- my neck hurts. My neck, my neck, my back, my pussy, and my crack. The whole thing. Yeah. As, as yeah. The whole system is falling apart. Yep. Um, just to, you know, we do, uh, just to give you guys, uh, sort of paint a picture. Peek, I was in an Uber. Yeah, peek behind the curtain. Um, I was in an Uber, in the back of an Uber, and we were uh, trying to exit um, the beautiful 101 highway here in Los Angeles. <laughs> and so, like, we were backed up onto the highway. You know, people were waiting at the top of the exit for the light. And the car behind us just, I don't know what happened. I think the person might have been texting or looking away. Just fucking plows into us. Yeah. And my head whips back, and my head then whips forward. And I hit my chin on my chest. And um, I my jaw, like, snapped shut. And I was like, boy, I, I don't know what you do. Because we're also, like, just still on the highway. And people right. are like hugging, and it's like mayhem. Um, it's uh, yeah. being in a, it's scary. I when I was in high school, my friend was driving us to a regatta for rowing, and we were crossing the the Bay Bridge in Maryland, which is an extremely long. I don't want to say it's the longest bridge in America because I don't think that that's true. But it's I'm like it up. Let's see. It could be. It's certainly find in out the top if it is. It's very. It's, it's up there. Okay. It's it's a long bridge. Like it's you're on it for a very long time. All right. Let's see. Let's see. No, it's coming up the uh, Manchock Swamp Bridge, which is a concrete trestle bridge in Louisiana. Oh, wow. Good for- it's 22.8 miles long. That is quite a long bridge. I guess that's like a swamp bridge. I mean, I guess it is still a bridge. Like, you still have to go down underwater to, like, put in the structure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I imagine that's a kind of a tough uh, bridge to set up. That's got to be. But the Bay Bridge is very long, and... uh uh, like a quarter of the way into the bridge, uh, traffic stopped and my friend slammed into the car in front of us. Oh my God. And it's like, it was just like, it was like, it was very abrupt and like there was no, nobody, we didn't have, we we barely had like Nokia cell phones at yeah. that time. We just had, like, so like, it's not like anybody was like on their phone, but like, it was just like all of a sudden, like you're driving fast on a bridge and then all of a sudden it stops. We hit the car in front of us. Not very terrible, but it stopped bridge traffic and it like, it was a Friday afternoon, like at the end of the summer, like September, like early, early fall. And it was like a huge traffic day. And we just like, sh- it was like on the news and it was all, it was, and it was a minor Ooh, accident, but right. like you're on a bridge. Like you it's have terrifying. to, like, I already don't like being on a bridge just as a passenger in think, a car. What if I just got out what if and I jumped? just got out and jumped? What if I didn't That's, have to do all this stuff anymore? I just said goodbye. Um, I, I just want to correct myself. Does anyone else notice or feel that Google is becoming worse and worse? I, I'm not, yes. we're not tech people, you know this, but 
I so I googled longest uh, bridge. It gave me Manchac Swamp Bridge. To be fair, okay, I shouldn't trust the first. You know, it just tells you something. And then I go down, and it's like it's actually the Lake uh, Pontchart Punch Pontchartrain Pontchart Train Causeway, also in Louisiana. And I'm like, this all what? makes sense because like, it's like an archipelago, basically. But then, like, literally, like immediately, there's like like all of the results starting in the middle of the first page is like the sources are like a slash Z slash animals.com. You mean like, it's not giving me like, there has to be a, like a bridge association website that has this kind of shit. Like it's just garbage links immediately. And I swear to God, it didn't used to be like that. It's like, it's like the first five are ads that are like leggings. Did you want to buy leggings? And you're like, what, how does this like, or it's like, tunnels and you're like no bridge and like yeah, it just it really good. is getting worse it's not good oh, so boy yeah anyway like, i like there's different bad links and they have like different i don't know this is very yeah it's not good even like when i'll type in like when i'm looking for like recipes for like a simple thing that like is clearly and again this is like google is not a cookbook and i have like a million cookbooks and i should just like open up the joy of cooking and be like still. how do you make veal marsala or whatever like something yeah. and it's like i google like what's the basic like go-to easy recipe and it's always like a blog with like no review like not even like a popular blog just like right. a blog and it's so filled with ads you like can barely get to the actual content yeah. of the recipe and it's like it's not google good. come on if i'm looking for this like you got to serve me like the the new york times and like bon appetit first you know yeah so weird uh, read our editor says uh, our producer says and the reviews are all can't wait to try it yeah, right. <laughs> five star. Yeah, no one's not actually it. eaten it. Yeah. Anywho, uh, just about the car accident. I um, I'm, I'm doing okay. My neck hurts, so which I feel a, a deep um understanding of Allison's robo neck now. Um, yeah. as in cyborg solidarity. Um, yes. I will say the, the weirdest part has been t- I've never taken muscle relaxers before. They are a wild ride. I you know, and I was having a good time. I actually had took a muscle relaxer and listened to um Christmas music. Now that's the vibe I'm looking for. Um, but yeah. then of course, as I was, I was texting um, uh, both Allison and Sabrina, our producer, I, I was like, I have to run to the restroom. And then I texted them 15 minutes in to say, Hey, I'm fighting for my life in there. Okay. I, I, I swear to God, I'm going to try to wrap this up, but I am, it is a, it is an all out. What did they war. give you? Oh, I don't, I didn't even look. I, 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 like, I can text it, you. After. Start with C? Start with it C. doesn't matter. Yeah. Start with yeah. C. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I take that. I take a full one and uh, I barely am done drinking the glass of water I have it with before I'm asleep. Damn. Yeah, <laughs> I had a half. Like, I, I put nothing puts to you sleep. to bed like a muscle relaxer. And if it, I, I don't want to advocate for using drugs for other people. I know, purposes, that's what's so hard. It's like, it's simply a part of life. If you're having muscle like, pain. Yeah. If you're having muscle pain or having stiff, you know, that it's that's what it's for. And I, if they're prescribed to you by an actual yes, doctor. and it was. Um, he yeah, it was this guy just standing on the side of the highway, and he handed it to me. And I'm like, yeah, that's was like, what a doctor oh, is. Yeah, like just like those lawyers that are like ambulance chasers. He's just like a, a pharmacist. Half <laughs> of, like there are two industries in Los Angeles: the like you know TV and film, and then personal injury attorneys. So, yeah, like there are so that's many <laughs> ads for different ones. And my favorite one is this woman called Veronica because she has her German Shepherd in the ad. Mm. And the most recent ad is her in a suit and then the German Shepherd in a suit. And I think they're building up to the fact that, like, Veronica is actually the German Shepherd and the woman's just a model that, like, Veronica, the sentient personal injury attorney German Shepherd, had to hire to, like, segue people into it. I Um, love that. But, yeah, I, I, um, 
I don't know. I, I, my friend's mother, Lindsay, I don't know if you're listening. My friend's mother, she, you know, I texted with the group chat to like, Oh my God, this thing happened. And my friend's like, yeah, you should go get your neck checked out. My mom was in a car accident when she was 30 and they sent her home from the hospital. And it turns out she had a, a, a cracked vertebrae cause they didn't do an x-ray. Oh my God. But then when I went to go in, I said, can I just get an x-ray? They're like, Oh, we don't just hand out x-rays. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess nope. I'll take these pills and um, meow, meow. hopefully my head won't slide off my fucking shoulders between now and a couple days from now. But I think it's fine. I feel like it's even getting better now. Seems attached. I, you know, truly, I mean, the, the American For healthcare now. system, you know how we do. Um, yeah. And then I just want to show you this thing that um, Dave drove me to urgent care because we were meeting, ex-boyfriend of the pod, Dave, we were meeting up for lunch anyways. And um, he, he handed this to me in CVS. And so I bought it. So I had to cheer me up. And it is a little tiny... Fake Oscar best says best woman. Woman. Here I am. A statue. Also, is that statue a man? Yes. Because <laughs> is it a man? Really? If you think about it, the best woman. The best woman is a man. Yeah. So he says, you really are collecting a lot of um, upright, <laughs> solid men or uh, upright, solid like figures That's for true. your Yeah. Home. I mean, I you know my feelings about gender, which is really, yes. we're still doing that. It's a construct. So I, I do see what you're saying, and I do need to have some more, more femme- uh, oh, I don't mean. Oh, I don't mean that it's gendered. I just mean like you have a lot of like between the Nutcrackers and this guy. Like you have a lot of just like figures. No, no, but I wanted to figures with like huge tits. And, uh, you know what I mean? I, I want I mean, like an overtly yeah. feminine statue. I just said they don't sell them at Target yet. Yeah. Um, if you see a statue with huge cans, please let me know. I'm happy to um to add it. Someone in LA makes that. Oh yeah. You know someone in LA is making that. I do want so I The AVN Awards. I'm sure that's what they give out. Yeah. I mean I I if they have any class of decorum. Um I uh, I am my uh search for an apartment is hopefully nearing an end. So I do Good. I do want to decorate. And the thing I'm coveting for myself for the holidays is getting something from Seth Rogan. Like, you know, mm, he has I like know, house plant. Yeah. So it's like weed and also like gorgeous. his clay, you know, like, like there's like a little like lazy Susan and all these like really gorgeous little um, clay things. So I might yes. treat myself. Give it a whirl. Are you going to get yourself a gift for the holidays? Is that something you do? Um, I, my birthday is uh, in the, like in the holiday season. So I usually buy myself a birthday gift, mm-hmm. which I don't know what that's going to be this year. We're recording this uh, in earlier December and my birthday is in later December and I don't know. I spent a lot of money on myself this year for no reason. So I'm like, I don't know. Do I really need to spend more? Like, we're closing out in the end of the year fiscally. I'm just like, what are we doing? Um, I mean. But I'll probably get myself some, like, dumb thing. Like, some Vince sweater that's on sale. And I'll be like, I deserved it. And, like, yeah. that'll be it. No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I definitely spent through my pandemic terror and continue to do so. Same. You know? Yeah. No, my coping mechanism is spending money. Yeah. And I don't always earn in a way that lets that be uh, reasonable. I mean, <laughs> so. we're the we're the all of us were in that situation. Um, yes. Well, let us begin. We are doing Elson. Yes. Um, I think you recently mentioned how much you enjoyed the anthology episode, so we're doing an anthology. I haven't, but in the future, I have. Oh yes, you mentioned it <laughs> at a future in a future episode. Um, in the future, I'm going to say that I like when we do anthology films, mm-hmm. and uh, this serves that that statement. Um, yes, you were correct through time, and I knew that in the past, yes. so that's why yes. I... Yes, um, yes. I'm well, we're us. both all knowing of each other and nothing else. Oh, and that's really nice. Um, I just want to say before we start that actually um, uh, I work with someone, I work at Crooked Media, which is a podcast company, and um, one of the video uh, editors 
Ben Heathcote is actually in this movie and helped oh, make this movie and is uh, incredibly talented. So Ben, uh, I'll shout out to you. And um, I love that. Yeah. So I'll call out what, which segment he's in. And um, yeah, just nice. Again, a perk of living in LA. It's like, oh yeah, you uh, just randomly in shit. Yeah. Like when our, our friend Julia Johns dated uh, the actor who played the um, mother in Barbarian. Oh yes. Well, that's fun to know, that's isn't fun. it? fun. All right, so let's begin. We're doing the Mortuary Collection. We always like to have Allison watch the trailer. Allison, what did you feel about the Mortuary Mortuary Collection trailer? I mean, again, as I've said in the future and in the past and currently in the present, I love I, I do love an anthology like horror film because I think like it's just so well suited for it. Yeah. Like drama can't. It's like what can you learn in fifteen minutes that's going to be a satisfying ending? But horror like does it so well. But the trailers are always really complicated because you're just seeing, like, cuts of a million different scary things. And it's like, you're like, how many people are in this? And then it's like, oh, right, there's, like, five stories to tell. But it does seem like this one has a real, like, organizing principle story that's, like, really carrying us through. And I'm excited to kind of hear about that. Um, Yeah, it has a very satisfying through line in a way that some of the anthologies we've done don't necessarily have so much, um, I think. But... We always like, to, we always like to take a baseline scary as well. Allison, how scary do you find the concept of? I feel like we've done this before, but the concept of um, the immutable reality of fate. Oh, do you believe in fate? No, no, God, no, yeah, me neither. So, Ugh, no, I don't believe in that. So, I guess of all of the things. Not that scary. I guess I, I understand why people want to believe in it because it is very reassuring. And same thing with like, oh, God is watching over you or like things happen for a reason. Sure, of course. It's nice to believe, like I like totally and have abs- like have absolutely in my mind, like not like a direct, like this was fate, but being like, oh, of course all these things happened in this order. It was so this thing could happen. And yes. it's like, no, that's not, it's like actually those things are causation and like what, like that's not what reality is. But like I do see after the fact sometimes like putting together the like, of course, that's why you didn't get that yeah. job because you needed to get this job. And it's like, no. I know, it's like- Because I didn't think that in the 10 other jobs I didn't get I know. before that. Like, <laughs> Right, yeah, it's, I guess it is like we live in such a chaotic, unknowable world that the idea of fate is so is such a solace, especially mm. when something good does happen. Because it's like, mm. oh, I knew I didn't have to go through all this horrible shit for no reason. Yeah, it's like horoscopes. I feel the same yes, way. It's absolutely. like I, if I read it before the time period that it's talking about, like that the day or the week or the month or whatever, it's like. Mm. But if I read it after the fact, I'm like, uh, the 26th was a good day because yeah. I did have a turkey sandwich instead of eggs. Like, okay. That's not anything, but like you retroactively fit yeah. that reality into this like construct that isn't real. So, and I guess all that to say, I don't believe in fate. Yeah, and I guess <laughs> as we say, is it's like there are certain like the way that our society is structured, like it propels people ser- towards certain futures. So it's sort of like fate. It is it is something that is just out of your control. Like I yeah. guess we do fate people in in certain ways, um, good and bad, mostly bad. So, yeah, I guess it's like we are we are puppets of uh, larger forces, but I don't know. I don't like that. I don't that 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 bumps me out too. So, it's so like the good version of fate is kind of a bummer and the bad versions also. I don't know. There's yeah. something about it. It's a no win as is the yes. entire human condition. Yeah. So. 
Um, so with that in mind, would you like to guess the twist? And so I think I'm going to have you guess the twist for the framework. So okay. sort of, and just to set it up, we're about to get into it, but a, a young woman goes to sees a help wanted sign at a um, mortuary. Mortuary. And meets the mortician who mm-hmm. ha- tells her stories about the people who have died in the mortuary, or whose bodies have been delivered there. It's sort of similar to body bags, which we just recently did. Uh, Allison, would you like to guess the twist in the mortuary collection? Guess the twist. I mean, I'm going to guess that that guy's dead. And I'm going to do something. I know this is a little out of the box, and maybe it's just the muscle relaxer talking, but I'm going to give that to you. Of course he's fucking dead. But what is he doing past death? You know what I mean? But what is he doing? I was going to say that the mortuary is not, like, on Earth and a mortuary, but is, in fact, Ooh. like, hell or some kind of, like, hellscape. Okay, And great. she has already died, but doesn't know it, and she's the last story. Love it. Allison, I mean, honest to God, you're writing these movies at this point. I mean... And we will be. Um... Hundreds of movies in, I'm finally starting to understand some of the tropes and motifs of horror. Yeah, this is a Saw-like induction to you understanding the formula of a horror movie, right? But you don't have to, like, crawl through razor wire for it. You just have to mentally crawl through razor wire when I tell you about the horrible shit that's going to happen. Yeah, that is what happens, so. (laughs) Let us begin. We hear the voice of our, uh, you know, sort of our narrator, one of our main characters, Mortician Montgomery Dark, and he is played by character actor Clancy Brown, who I associate with most, most closely with the voice of Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob. Um, he has I've like never a, seen one second oh, of SpongeBob, and it's okay. memed the fuck it's, all over every social media, and it makes me so angry because I'm like, I don't understand this. That's a good point because I'm looking at on Clancy Brown's um, IMDb page, and SpongeBob started in 1999. Which really was the perfect time for something to become, I mean, both for people who are like our age around the time mm-hmm. and then anyone then born yeah. after that, you've yeah. seen it other than you. Uh, but he's like a very well-known, he's done a million like voice acting roles. He also is in, uh, was in Shawshank Redemption. Wow. He plays Captain Hadley, who's sort of like the hard-nosed, like mm-hmm. piece of shit, you know, like a prison captain. So he's definitely a character actor you would recognize. And he has this very beautiful, yeah. deep, sonorous voice that is extremely um, recognizable. And we hear him say, the world is not made of atoms. It is made of stories. And we open a beautiful aerial shot of a little newspaper delivery boy biking through a coastal town of Raven's End, which I think is supposed to be like the Pacific Northwest. And they set up very quickly like... Um, this is sort of uh, akin to uh, Stephen King's uh, Castle Rock. You know, it's like a okay. little town, it's near the water, and things are perhaps already that pretty bad, sense. you know. And we see a telephone pole covered in missing posters. We see a fisherman hauling, like, a tentacled creature out of the water in a cage. We, okay. We see a newspaper th- that's thrown, and the headline says, Boggy Bay Tooth Fairy Still at Large. No. I'm also not sure what time period. Like, they have, like, very 50s-looking cars. But then, like, we meet people who are more modern. So I think we're supposed to be in sort of a timeless American limbo, right? Fabulous. So we see a little boy. He bikes up a long hillside path and climbs steps to um, the Raven's End Mortuary. And he sees there's a big pile of newspapers at the bottom of the steps. 
that are uncollected. And we see the headlines, ride at Kirksdale Asylum, creatures spotted in local waters. So feeling like he, he can't just leave it in the pile, he takes the newspaper all the way up to the steps to the house, uh, to the um, mortuary, and it's gorgeous, overlooks the bay, and he rings the doorbell, but nobody answers. So he tries to peer through the mail slot, and he has, uh, like, a camera. And he, I'm glad we don't have mail slots anymore. I'm just going to say that. You know, I guess uh, it's, it's I, the utility is there, but then you just imagine somebody, you look down and somebody's looking at you, right? Well, it just seems like way too much access to the inside of the house for someone who's on the outside of the house. Now, what would your concern be with regards? Are you concerned they're going to put their penis through the slot? Is that what we're thinking? One, we know that that's happened a lot. There's no way it hasn't. If there's an opening, a man has put his dick in it. That's just what's going on. But, like, even just, like, it's, like, not far enough away from the doorknob that, like, you could definitely, like, you don't have to be, like, a mastermind of engineering to get something in there to, like, open up a door from the in, from the outside. But I feel like, wouldn't we know if people were doing that? I feel like that'd be more of an epidemic, right? I, feel I just like, mean, like, we don't really have mail slots yeah, anymore. It, and yeah. I think if they, if we did, they would. And, you know, I think, to me, the, 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 the opening, the door opening that would cause me concern is a doggy door. You don't see those anymore oh, either. Oh, yes, of course. Well, they're on TikTok. Oh, it's so always like TikTok. a fat cat getting stuck in it. And I'm like, I like that. <laughs> And I guess, like, a raccoon getting in or something is still cute. But, yeah, you just don't want to look down and see, a, again, a man trapped midway through. Um, no, of course not. Uh, again, trying to, with his dick's caught in the mail slot, and he's caught in the doggy door. Yeah, he's upside down. He's trying to 69 your house. <laughs> <laughs> trying and succeeding. I mean, clearly. That's, and then, legally, that's his house now. Because, yeah. I'm sorry, that's just yeah. the Supreme Court. The, the, these activist judges. That's how real estate works. Um, when the little boy goes to open the mail slot to take a photo inside, the flash illuminates that there's a pair of eyes staring back at him. Terrifying. Because also that mail slot's like six inches to the floor. Um, and (laughs) the hand reaches and grabs the strap on his camera and like jerks him towards the door. The door swings open and he was face to face with the mortician Montgomery Dark. Um, and the little boy tries to run away and Montgomery's still holding his camera and says, oh, you forgot your camera. And the boy screams, Suck it, creepo, and bikes away. <laughs> That's an amazing phrase. And uh, Montgomery goes inside. He throws the camera into a box with, like, these other confiscated kids' items. Like, obviously, children come here to, like, you know, pester him. He checks his pocket watch, and he turns the sign from closed to funeral in progress. So the funeral is about to start, and there's also a help-wanted sign sort of perch underneath the Ravens and Mortuary sign out front. During the funeral, Montgomery delivers, like, an epilogue that's actually, like, really impassioned. And, he, you know, he's giving this plea. His eyes are closed. He's sort of raptured. He's like, I beseech you, friends, that even as we mourn, let us celebrate as a tribute to this young man's story. But nobody's hearing it and nobody's interested because Allison, it is, of course, a funeral for a child. You hate to see it. So everyone's like, okay, yeah, that's, uh, yes, yes, in theory, what you're saying is true, but that's true if you're 100. That's true if you got to live a life. If you're a six-year-old blonde boy, you didn't really get to do a lot of stuff, you know? No, that ain't the feeling. So everyone leaves kind of like, okay, whatever, and Montgomery checks his watch again and flips the sign back to close as just as a storm starts to roll in over the bay. And when he goes to place a book back on the shelf, a figure walks behind him into the viewing room, and when he turns back out, there's a young woman named Sam, and he said, I'm sorry, how did you know the 
the boy and she said, I'm not here for the funeral. I'm actually here because of the help wanted sign. Are you still looking? And he smiles and he says, always. And he has such a, an incredible deep voice. Like all these lines, again, Love are chewing. Voice. He's having yes. such a blast. Yes. Um, yes. He invites Sam into his study, which is filled with books and sort of like, you know, whether there'd be like a preserved butterfly with like a, a glass hood over it. Yes. And Ooh, if, yes. all yes. that. Crystals, yep. you know, that. fossils. That's what I'm talking about. I like that vibe. Yeah. So he explains that everyone has a story. And in all the books in his studies, it's not just a story of how their death happened, but why. And so Sam's like, well, I'm already here. Would you tell me one of the stories? And he's like, she's like, oh, he's like, oh, no, no. I, you know, it's, it's too dark. You know, she says, no, no. I, if I'm going to work here, I want to know. I want to know the stories. I really want to know what's going on. I want something dark, twisted, and awesome. Which brings us to our oh. first story. And this is a little tiny baby story. And right. to the point where it doesn't even have a name. But this is our story yeah. number one. And Allison... We see a woman named Emma in, like, sort of a 1950s dress, like a yellow dress. She ducks into a bathroom with a glass of wine, and she looks and notices the inside handle is covered in, like, a clear slime. I've been to those parties before. Um, A man knocks on the door, and she's in there and tells her, I hope you're not hiding from me. I think there's really something between us. I'll meet you on the veranda. When she leaves, we see her take a seat in the closed toilet, and she, like, gulps her wine before taking the garbage can and... Good old toilet wine. The, the other yeah. kind. Oh, nothing like <laughs> going to her party and drinking wine in the bathroom on the toilet. The oh, my God. That keeps me going. Um, so that clear slime from the... Op, like, the uh, the the um, vaginal version of 69ing a house? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're a woman, you, <laughs> you have fuck to a door fuck handle. a door handle, a doorknob, <laughs> then you own the bathroom. You know what I mean? So you didn't yes, get the whole house. True. And then you get to drink all the wine you want. Right. But we're working up to the fact that it, it, if you fuck enough door doorknobs in the house, then you will also acquire the house. Yes. It's all about yes. legal precedent in this country, unfortunately. Yeah. We're going to get there. We see Emma reach into her dress and pull out several men's wallets. And we're to understand she just lifted them from men's pockets during the party. Love her. Takes the cash out, dumps them in the garbage, puts the top back on. Even more memorably, she has stolen the same pocket watch that we've seen Montgomery has been using. So we do see okay. these sort of, like, tokens and, like, connecting threads between the framework and the um, actual stories. Mm-hmm. Allison, she's finished her toilet wide. She's ready to go join whoever his name is on the veranda. She hears a thud behind the medicine cabinet as if something is knocking on the inside of the door. Allison, let me ask you... What would you do? What would you do? So I'm at a party. I've stolen a bunch of stuff. I just pounded some wine in the bathroom. There's, I don't, I don't know about the slime. Well, you've seen the slime, but I think much like we did, well, this is just vaginal mucus. It's yeah. on a yes, doorknob. Yes. Like you might find it, it is at a party. party. This is a popping off. This is a party that we want to be at. Okay. There's shit. There's fluids everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. That's that kind yeah. of party that they're a good having. party. Um, and then the guy's knocking, I've tossed the wallets, and what just happened? She's heard a knock from behind the medicine cabinet. Yes. Um, I would just exit the bathroom and then the house. Same. That would be, I would be like, well, that's, that's enough. I kind of got what I came for, which is toilet wine and a bunch of cash. Yeah. So that's... I'm going to wrap it up. Which and, is how uh, they pay you for most of your stand-up sets now. Yes, this is true. Toilet wine and cash, and then you leave a house. Um, yeah, I'm out of there. Yeah. 
Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I got the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Unfortunately, she instead goes to the cabinet and we see her sort of deliberate, like, actually, I'm going to open this and steal a bunch of medication, but it's locked. So she uses a nail file to break open. I'm going to say that wasn't something I would also do. (laughs) And she, as she's doing it, she slices her hand with the nail file and the door slams shut. Then she starts full on fighting to open the door. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you already have the cash. Also, something is thumping around behind the medicine cabinet, which again is supposed to be only about this deep, right? Nope. Yeah. Except for that one TikTok where it was a whole apartment. Oh, yeah, it was a whole apartment. God, I forgot about that. Um, Unfortunately, Emma gets the door open. Instead of a cat medicine cabinet, she, full of delicious pills, she finds a passageway to a void filled with tentacled horrors dripping. I mean, at a party, I don't hate seeing a void as an option, but no tentacles. No tentacles. I'm going to stop you there. So as she tries to slam the medicine uh, cabinet door shut, and she's screaming for help, only to have the creature's... On the other side, they stop. They stop struggling. She's like, "Oh, I guess we're. Is I'm allowed to leave?" So she starts to quietly tiptoe to the door, only to drop the pocket watch. And the sound of it shattering coincides with the medicine cabinet door bursting open, and sort of a, a thick column of meaty tentacles jets out. You again, Elsa? You've been here before, and grabs her up. drenching her in clear slime as she's kicking and screaming through the doorway and she hits the medicine cabinet door vertically, right? So she's like essentially being jammed vertically against it. And as she's pulled, her body starts to break backwards. So her spine (gasps) breaks backwards. Okay, well, yeah, this is familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, this part I understand. And until she, of course, shatters in half, basically, and then dies. So she sort of becomes a ragdoll, her spine broken. And uh, the tentacles pull her away to the void, and the door closes. Are they the same tentacles we saw uh, with the the fishermen in the... I think so. I think we're to think this is... That would okay. be a little version of what these things Got are. It. Yes, so I think there are of a piece. Back in the mortuary, Sam's like, oh, okay, well, that was a fun story. I thought there'd be maybe a little bit more to it, which I do think is funny because watching it, that is my exact thought. I'm like, well, it was yeah. fun. We're like, just a little bit more would have been something. And, you know, she says, I was expecting an ironic twist or some kind of thematic comeuppance, but that was I'm fun. looking for those things. And Montgomery says, oh, well, I was just, I was just warming up, you know? And he's like, well, if you're going to work here, I need you to just basically sign some paperwork. Um, also, what I tell you is, that, you know, it's it's personal. It's, it's essentially an NDA. And she goes and signs it. And she says, well, don't you think that story's a little far-fetched, like an octopus in a medicine cabinet? And he's like, it wasn't an octopus. It was an allegory. It's about the story. And she's like, okay, great. I get it. Like, the moral is don't stick your nose where it doesn't belong. 
And he says, no, you think that would be the answer, but actually mm-hmm. it's about universal balance, you know, um, causality, uh, one action begets another, you know, that's the important lesson. Is he saying like the wallet stealing is why she got sucked into the octopus cabinet? Yes. I think that's what we're supposed to think, which to me again seems unfair. That. It's, that's not, that's not. That's not eye for an eye. Yeah, I wouldn't invite her back to the next doorknob fucking party, but like... I don't know if she needs to get split in half at the waist. Exactly. I mean, and if again, if that's what she's into, that's fine, but I, you know, yeah, you've got to let people know at the party. By the way, there's an yeah. octopus void in the bathroom. Yeah, of course. Um. So, uh, Sam signs the document, He and then Mar- uh, Montgomery starts showing her around. So he shows her the foyer, and there's photos of all the previous morticians on the wall. And as he walks on, Sam looks at the photo. Like a fraternity. Yeah, basically. A fraternity of men in ill-fitting suits. Um, A fraternity. (laughs) Yeah. She sees what looks like Montgomery, but the photo looks like it's 60 or 70 years old. It looks exact. Well, it looks a little bit younger, but he's like an older man. The timeline wouldn't make sense. Okay. And then once they get to the viewing room, Sam starts to open the coffin. and He sort of snaps it shut and tells her, I'm not going to tell you about this boy's death. Some, Some... Tales are even are too unsettling for even me to recount. Okay. She's like, oh, okay, well, like, could you tell me another one? And he says, Well, you've heard you've heard better safe than sorry. This young man had to learn it the hard way. So now we're in a segment or story two un, called Unprotected. And we are at um a college campus. Again, is it the 60s? Is it the 90s? Is it 2000? I don't know. But it's sort of that say. liminal space, right? And I guess it's supposed to be the 60s because uh, we see this frat brother, Jake, basically come out and start hard-pitching these uh, female co-eds, like, fresh first years. Uh, Basically, you know, like, Karl Marx has always said, like, you can tell where society is at based on its treatment of women. Uh, We believe here at at whatever college this is in total sexual liberation. And he says, as a straight white male, I'm going to be the first to admit that the tides are turning, the patriarchy is falling... And past it is a world of sexual pleasure, provided we do it safely. Now, the problem with that pitch is, like, I do believe that. So, like, hearing that, I'm like, okay, well, I understand we're setting him up that he doesn't actually believe that. But I believe that. Yeah, but I believe that. Um, and he shows him how to unroll a condom out of a banana in a very horny way. And this was like, this thing was, like, very, like, horny yeah. in a great way. And so, of course, all these women are like, oh, great. Yeah, no, I would absolutely fuck this guy. And they each grab a condom while he invites them to the fraternity's party that night. And when the girls leave, he has two other frat bros, Connor and Todd. And Connor's like, whoa, is that true about the patriarchy? And the other bro says, no, you idiot. The patriarchy is doing just fine. Jake, explain your theory. And Jake tells him, like, here's what we're doing. Like, we're providing these freshmen, first years with um, information so they can make informed decisions. And that decision will be to fuck you two losers. And basically the rationale is, like, all the women who take condoms are down to fuck. So those are the women we're going to invite to the party. Right. And Connor's like, that's genius. That's how we meet all the sluts. You know, but that's how you meet the women who are practicing safe sex. Right. Exactly. You meet a woman who like, it's like every woman, not whatever, but like, yeah, it's like it, the logic. Most women want to fuck. They just don't want to get fucked over. Right. Like, and this is what this story is about, of course. And Connor spots is again, beautiful young woman, Sandra, who's walking into the building behind them. Tries to chase her down and is, like, using Jake's logic and lines. But, like, he he's just eating shit. Like, he doesn't remember, yeah. like, what was he was talking about. He's just trying to talk to this woman. It's off. Yeah. Jake comes up to him and says, hey, you know, the girls lacrosse team just arrived in the booth. You should go talk to them. And Connor's like, a whole team! And he runs out. Um, and Jake's talking to Sandra. And, and he sa- she says, well, you don't look like a first year. 
And he's like, oh, no, I just I just come to things to get laid, jokingly. And Sandra says, me too. And it sort of throws off his whole spiel because he's like, oh, I was joking. And she just stares at him. And um, he's like, um, oh, okay. And kind of rushes back over like, I need your help. We're out of bananas. But not before Jake invites Sandra to the big Sig Delt house party that night. And Sandra says, I'll think about it. And she takes the condom. Allison, as she walks away, we see a corkboard covered in missing posters for missing students, like at least a dozen, all of whom are male. At the house party, we see Jake, you know, and this is like a lot of like, it, it is interesting, it's like, this This is a story about a, um, um, so a man with a deep insecurity, and his deep insecurity is that he used to be fat as a kid, which as a fat okay. person now is very funny to me. But yeah. what he's doing is like that. It's like okay, he's looking at a photo of himself as a fat little kid, and it's like you have a okay. framed photo of yourself as a fat little kid that you look at to like lift weights or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so somebody knocks on the door and he puts his little fat self away, and he, he just returns to shirtlessly lifting weights. And Connor comes in with shots like, "Why do you come downstairs, man? The party's getting started." He's like, "I'm just laying low, <laughs> you know." Connor sees a pair of underwear, women's underwear, on Jake's bed, and. I guess we had this at college where, like, if you did the college laundry, it had, like, a code for your name. But it wasn't mm. so they could keep track of it. But it wasn't, like, your actual name. So Connor picks up the panties and says, it written on it is the full name of the woman who is the head of the history department. And I'm like, what kind of laundry system is this where this woman's full name no. is written on her underwear somewhere? And she's not, like, a student. <laughs> And I guess if I worked on campus, I would use the campus laundry, I, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah. But it's just funny. And Connor's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you fucking bagged a milf. Like, how do you get all these chicks? And Jake tells him it's easy. And he's like, they want sex and a companion. They just want to feel like they're worth it. And now he's talking about himself as a little fat kid. You know, it's like. Right, of course. You just want to feel like you're worth it. If you can give that to a girl even for one night, you can have any girl you want. And Todd busts in shouting. Down. Wait, he's like a, a bottle of whiskey. He's like, I am a robot and this is my fuel. And then he just starts chugging <laughs> okay, it. Okay, what is that? An impression of me? Um, yes. Yeah, I was seeing it. It says Allison Libby impression in the uh, captions. I am a robot and whiskey <laughs> and alcohol is my fuel. <laughs> um, and the guys are all like, hooray. And they all go downstairs to booze and cruise for coos. So Jake is like holding court. He, at one point he does like a card trick. I'm like, okay, Jake, like you're, you don't have to do all that. You know, it's like too much. You're doing too much. But also like these women are there for, you know, many of them are there to like actually meet up and hook up with you guys. Like it's like, yeah, you don't is, need to like literally trick them into like, I mean, I, I, and I guess that, and I, that's, I do think we t- tell men that. And I think that it does cause yes. a lot of uh, psychic trauma to everyone it, yes. involved. Yep. I don't know why. And, um, don't know. So if you're a man listening to this, you know that you're great. Please just yeah. accept it yourself that you are great. You don't have to trick yeah. anyone into sex with you. No. no. And if they're into some sort of weird card game thing, that's all you can discuss with them. If you're into some oh, sort of sexual, sex. some sort of sleight of hand sexual magic, that's something oh, for sure. you to discuss together. Right? Yes. Yes. But, you know, as soon as he sees Sandra walk in, it is fucking on. Like they are st- like basically walking through this party with their eyes locked on each other. And she goes up to him and they immediately kiss. So they head back up, they head up to Jake's room, and Sandra's like, oh, you're really going to, like, let me come in your room? You barely know me. Aren't you afraid for your safety? I could be a serial killer. And Jake's like, haha, are you? And Sandra just pushes him down on the bed before um, she, they start stripping, and it's kind of, like, hot. Like, Jake's sort of, like, laying yeah. on bed, and she crawls on a bed, t- like, her shirt off, and straddles him. 
And she tells him, I have something for you. And she reaches behind her and pulls from her skirt the condom that he gave her earlier. And Jake's like, oh, you know, like, you know, like, you we don't really need a condom. You know what I mean? Like, if you're on the pill, it's fine. You know, we don't need to use condom. And Sandra's, like, repeating back his line, like, no, it's like you said, I want to be empowered. And he's like, okay. And again, he's, like, sighing, like, oh, we have to use condom. It's like, bitch, that was the, like, of course you use the condom. The condom is why she's there, right? You know, it's yeah. like. You were fumbling this so much, but, you know, he puts it on, Sandra gets on top, and he tells her, he immediately barks at her, turnover, so you like, fuck her doggy style, and he takes off, while, while she's turning over, he takes off the condom and slingshots it across the room. So, now she does not know this is happening, no. and... That's assault. Right, exactly. And they have sex for, like, a comedically long time for hours, and when he wakes up in the morning, Sandra's gone, but she's left a message in lipstick reading, call me and her phone number. Allison, he just wipes it away. However, as soon as he does, he's suddenly extremely nauseous. Let's just say he's hmm. sick in the morning. He runs to the bathroom to vomit, only for Connor to bust in like, dude, you fucked that girl Sandra? And he's like, of course I did. And he said, that's number 67, isn't it? You fucked 67 girls while you're here in college. And he's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And Connor looks down and Jake has like a visible rash, like over the waistband of his underwear. And he's like, did you not use a condom? Like, you absolutely should get that checked out. And Jake's like, you know, it's probably like friction. It's just like a rash or something. But he does immediately go to the campus clinic. Okay. Okay. He's trying to be responsible. And it, well, I mean, he's a, he, he's going to get what's coming to him for taking out the condom, of course. And, Fabulous. And he's looking at the SD pamphlet and he's like, I think I have HPV. And it's like, is this genital warts or something? And we, we meet the doctor, Dr. Kubler, who's going to appear in a couple of the stories. And he's like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. Nothing to a shot of penicillin can't fix. Uh, let me just look at your lab work. Because ostensibly, he already had lab work done. And the doctor looks at the sure. file and says, oh, there must have been must be some kind of mix-up. Which is what you want to hear a doctor say when you, you're there for a yeah. STI, yeah. you know? Confusion is always top of the... Emotions you want to hear from a medical professional. Uh, my files are all mixed. Weird. This is, files are all goofed up. It's like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. But, you know, he has uh, Jake lay down and he uses a stethoscope to listen to Jake's abdomen. And Allison, unfortunately, something inside of it moves. Mm-mm. Jake sees Mm-mm. the doctor panicking and the doctor runs out of the room to find someone to consult with. Jake opens his files, Allison, and reads that he is pregnant. Love it. Now, he doesn't do the illogical thing, which is, and to be fair, maybe if this is the 60s, like, where can you get an abortion? Right. But I do appreciate that he does take this seriously, and he does the logical thing, and he gets uh, what is called Plan C. And it's funny, because, mm-hmm. like, Plan C is actually getting an abortion, you know? Right. But he is treating it as a pregnancy. Like, he's like, I don't know how I'm pregnant, but I, I am, you know? Uh, yeah, right. I need mean, to not be. Unfortunately, when he takes the pill, he immediately vomits back up. He's so nauseous. And when he takes off his shirt, his abdomen is growing at, like, an extremely rapid rate, right? Like, this is not a nine-month situation. This is, like, a 48-hour business. Something is gestating and quickly. And realizing, like, oh, my God, it's this woman Sandra I slept with. He struggles to try to read the number on the mirror that he wiped off. So he keeps, like, dialing all the numbers, but they're all wrong because he can't read it. Until finally he gets Sandra, and he says, hey, Sandra, it's Jake. And she says, Who? And he's like, it doesn't matter. We met at the party. Um, could I, do you want to hang out today? I'm free. And she's like, yeah, I guess so. And she gives him her address. Allison, he gets in the, he goes downstairs to leave. He looks like he's eight months pregnant. And he also looks horrible. Like he's fighting back nausea, right? Yes. When yes. he walks downstairs, 
a a row of hooded figures are standing there before him. Oh no! They pull back their hoods. It's just their uh, his frat brothers in their ceremonial robes, and Todd cool. is sort of like the head of the frat guys, and they're celebrating him for hitting the number sixty seven, six, having sex with sixty seven women. No, 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 no. Put, the, put it back. Which represents the sixty seven founders of our great fraternity and is honored with the 67 cherry trees spread across this great land. 67 cherries for Sig Delt. And Jake is, by the way, sweating and holding his massive yeah, pregnant belly, trying, trying to, to act barf. normal. He's like, ha ha, thanks guys, cool. Are they not acknowledging that he looks like he's eight months pregnant? Um, No, they are not at all. Okay. And um, they force him to get into a chair. And they, so the idea is like, they give him a pendant with his last name on it and then they hoist him up to the rafters and he can stick the pendant to the rafters, right? But they, okay. they kind of lift him up, but he's, like, unfathomably heavy. And everyone's struggling. And finally, they lift him up. Also, Jake looks like he's about to vomit the entire time, right? And he's like, ha, ah. And finally, he he puts his pen uh, on the mantle. And then he just can't take it anymore. He fucking screams. And he sprays everyone from between his legs with a thick white goo. I think we're supposed to think that's, like, his water breaking, right? Yes. And everyone's reaction is just to silently put him down. And he says to Todd, give me your keys. And Todd hands them his keys. And then no one says anything when he leaves, which is actually what would happen if that happened. At 100%. Because I was just like... It'd be that or a lot of screaming and yeah. no like and no other activity because you'd be just focused on screaming. Um, so Jake speeds over to Sandra's place and he, he, they meet, he meets Ralph and Margaret, Sandra's parents, who see the condition that he's in. And they go, Sandra Marie, get your ass down here. You've got to be kidding me. They apparently know exactly what's going on, right? Oh, no. So they have Jake get up on a table with built-in stirrups, because this has happened before. And Sandra sheepishly enters, like, oh, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. And and Jake's screaming. He's like, what did you do do to me? And Sandra's like, I thought you wore protection. Like, how did this happen? And they all turn in. Oh, interesting. And and Jake's like, oh, um, well, I didn't. You have to understand. He goes, you have to understand. I used to be really, really fat, which I'm sorry is so fucking funny. That is really funny. And he's like, kids used to tease me. Girls like you wouldn't even look at me. And I lost weight and I, I got, it got better for me. But then, but then I got worse. And what's even worse than that is now I'm fat again. <laughs> and Sandra goes to the landline and makes a call and says, whoever, whatever boy she's talking to is like, um, looks like I am free after all and hangs on the phone and Jake starts screaming. He goes into labor. So Ralph and Margaret are there, sort of his midwife and mid-husband, I guess. And Jake's screaming, how does this work? How is it going to come out of me? And Ralph looks at Margaret. Margaret goes, it's going to come out of you the same way it came in. Jake screams. The baby is arriving. Allison, we see it's a, it's a split second. But we see his penis literally split open <laughs> as the as the baby is birthed and blood sprays against the wall. And also his abdomen rips open, right? So we see them basically taking a, a little baby from his abdominal cavity. Margaret cleans it up and takes it up to the nursery and puts it down and then as it sleeps. And then slowly tries to creep away and steps on a squeaky toy. And when she does, it wakens not just that baby... But all the babies in the room, and we look, it's a huge, like, the full attic of a is house. Is it a human baby? It is a humanoid baby. And in, okay. in sort of in profile, we saw, see 20 of these monster babies. Some of them have tentacles. Like, some of them are just, like, creatures. But they're all little tiny baby monsters. Which means she's out here fucking all those missing guys, right? And giving birth to all of these monstrous yeah. humans. 
Um, back at the mortuary, Sam says, that story had everything and I loved it and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and Mother Bree says, are you making fun of me? She's like, no. I mean, like, it wasn't the best story I've ever heard, but I did. It had romance. It had, it had sex. It had everything you yeah, need. Suspense. And um, Montgomery steps, he, it basically, it's like, he's like, I'm going to step out of the viewing room. Do not touch anything. Mm-hmm. Of course, as soon as he leaves the viewing room, Allison, Sam hears a thumping from inside the child's coffin. She goes over to it, and suddenly there's all this banging and clanging, and the coffin starts lowering into the floor. So there's basically a mechanism to lower it right into the actual morgue. Which is pretty clever. Okay. And she peers over as the me- mechanism lowers it. And Montgomery is suddenly behind her and says, be careful. I wouldn't want you to take a tumble. And I something about his delivery. It's like every line is great, but there's like, take a tumble is like flows so trivially off his tongue. I loved it. And he tells her, this is a good story. like this house has everything, all the modern conveniences from 1885. They go down to the embalming room where there is a body on the slab. And he tells great. her, Every corpse tells a story, and it's our task to listen. Take care to give this one a try. He pulls down the sheet. It's a beautiful woman who soon learned is named Carol. And Sam's like, well, she looks perfect. And Montgomery says, ah, look again. And he pulls aside, and on her side, she has bed sores. He also tells Sam that she has traces of magnesium in her mouth, which is a treatment for patients in a perpetual catatonic state. Mm. Sam looks again, trying to figure out, like, what are their clues around this body? And she says that she's used a wedding ring. And she pulls off the corpse's wedding ring, and inside it says, Till death do we part. And Montgomery says, Ah, but what if death provides no reprieve? Which brings us to our next segment, Till Death. We open on this woman, this corpse, Carol Peters, getting married at the altar with her husband, Wendell Owens, as they exchange vows. And literally the priest is saying, Until death we, do we part, Wendell looks over and Carol's fate fighting for breath under her veil. She turns to him and screams, and the scream wakes Wendell up. He's just having a dream. Unfortunately, he is still, he is caring for Carol, who is uh, in a catatonic state, and um, there's no explanation for what happened to her or what she was dealing with. She's able to eat on her own and drink water, but she is not communicative or alert okay. in, in that way. And so he, she's, he hears her coughing and choking, and he runs over, and he like, puts a little bit of water in her mouth, and she stops coughing. She has, um, like, a, a oxygen tube and a breathing machine. She's in their home, which is at least nice. Like, they don't have to be at the hospital. Okay. But Wendell's life is sort of, he goes to work, and then he goes home and takes care of Carol, right? Yes. So on his way back to the grocery store, he's got a bunch of food. He runs to his neighbor, Mrs. Avery, and she's telling him, like, oh, my God, I went on this all-inclusive cruise. It was so incredible. And she says, have you ever, ever been on an all-inclusive cruise? And he's like, Oh, no, I take care of my uh, catatonic wife. Uh, yeah, not a lot of cruises in my life. Yeah, we haven't been going on a lot of trips. Yeah, the, uh, like the, the fees of the catatonia, there's catatonia fees added to the ticket. They just, uh, it's, yes. it's insurmountable. And Mrs. Avery said, well, you know, when my Arthur was alive, we never went anywhere. But now that he's dead, I'm seeing the world. Anyway, something to think about. Oh, I don't. Oh, okay. She says, are you going up in the elevator? He's like, I hate elevators but especially this old creepy one. And it's one of those old creepy, like, I like, um, it's like, it looks like an old hospital elevator. Like there's thing okay, about it. Like it yeah. has a little, um, round Large window. It's, yeah. yeah. So Wendell goes, he walks up 12 flights to their fucking apartment, which couldn't be me. And he starts preparing nope. food. So basically he prepares a meal for both of us. And then he purees the food for Carol. Cause she's able to swallow, but doesn't seem like she's really able to really chew much. Eating and yeah. 
this is their routine. He goes to work, he comes back, makes himself dinner, makes her dinner, purees it, feeds it to her. And he's really doing a good job, like, the best he possibly can. I mean, like, he's clearly very depressed, as anyone would be, but, like, is taking care of her. And one day he's feeding Carol, and she seems to say something. And so it really gets Wendell's hopes up. Like, is she communicating? Unfortunately, he goes to in to listen, and she spits the soup back at his face, like, just burping, up, burping it up. Okay. After dinner, he goes through all their bills. Uh, again, this is America. They're all overdue. Yeah. She has all these medical bills. He, he's like, I, I can't pay these. And we see that Carol's doctor, the same Dr. Kubler, who apparently worked at the college campus. And I'm like, I guess he had a career change, or is there just one doctor in this town and he has to do double duty? He stops by to check on Carol. And he's like, well, she's developing some bed sores, but I can show you how to, uh, to like move her on the bed so it doesn't develop in the same spot. But I'll be honest, she's doing really well. And he's like, oh, my God, how is that possible? Is she improving? And she's like, oh, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying um, I would give her at least a year, possibly more. Oof. And he's like, I don't know how I'm supposed to make this work. Like, I, I can't afford what I like. I, you know, like right. she still needs all this medical help and she's on medication. I don't know what to do. Dr. Kubler writes or basically hands Wendell a strong pain medication and says more than two of these at once, she would die. And, and Wendell's like, okay, great. I'll add it to the, all the other fucking medication, you know, but I'll be sure just right. not to get, I'll just give her one at a time, obviously. And the doctor says, no, no, what I'm saying is if you were to give her more than two of these at once, she would die. And also they're untraceable. And were she to eat them, she would simply drift off to sleep and be very, be a very peaceful death. Ugh, that's all I want. And Wendell says, oh, and Dr. Kubler says, oh, before leaving. So that night, he has Carol sit at the table with him. Usually she's in bed and he brings her food. And he sort of, like, put her, like, in a nice dress. And he, they're having dinner no, together. Oh, go right to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, we're not wasting time. This is, like, Susan, Dr. Lee was like, all right, I can still make all that right, cruise at least tomorrow. Dinner. Right. Um, yeah, going on one of those Disney cruises. Going to Hedonism, okay. too, uh, in, the, in Jamaica. <laughs> um, so he puts her up at the table and he gives her a gift. And it is an Arctic hare. And he's like, I know you love the Arctic hair and it used to sort of cheer you up. It was sort of like her. It's sort of like there's an SNL sketch about like, what do you call a mom? Like you get like a, an animal that's assigned to you mm. and then everyone just buys you stuff. And it's like, oh yeah. And for my mother, it was, which she fought this tooth and nail, but we had uh, wiener dogs growing up. And so people would buy oh. us wiener dog stuff. And it's like, we own, we have dogs that are wiener dogs. We do not need our right. own We don't life. need, yes. We don't right. need a wiener dog life, you know? Um, which I mean, listen, everyone has a different relationship to their, to yes. their animal, but to, so her thing was an Arctic hare. So it's like a very like little, it's like a pointy golden mm-hmm. statuette of a, of a rabbit, a hare looking up. And, okay. and he's like, I know they used to cheer you up. And he tells Carol, I can't do this alone anymore. Could you please give me a sign that you're there? But of course she can't. Right. So he just starts getting more and more upset. He's begging her like, do it. Show me something. Do it now, Carol. And he starts screaming at her. But then he apologizes. He's like, I'm so sorry. I know that this is not your fault. Allison, he just starts popping up in those pills and dumping them into the, her soup. He puts at least five or six in there, right? All right. Well, you know, if you're going to do it. <laughs> I mean, complicated. I mean, Liz, I don't want to have my desire for someone to absolutely do this for me to color our yeah. understanding of the ethics of this. This is yes. morally wrong. Now, if they yes. had had a conversation when she was yes. getting sick. Where she's like, do this if I'm ever this. Yeah, and I want to say, how I feel. you know, I'm not dating yet, but when I do start dating, I will tell anyone I date on the first date, please feel free. Like, if I'm in this situation, yeah. like, no question. Wrap it up. I want this to be very yeah. clear. 
But yes. he looks the boulder mouth. He starts feeding her soup. We also see, like, as he does it, there's all these other hair statues around the apartment, and they're all, like, watching him, and it's, like, another spoonful, and then another hair, and they're all, like, the little eyes around him. Um, of course, as soon as he finishes the bowl and puts the bowl down, Carol's hand flexes and grabs his arm. And he screams as he starts seizing, and then, of course, he realizes, like, what? oh, my God, what have I done? And he starts giving her the Heimlich and forces her to vomit up the soup. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I I, I, I feel horrible. Like, realizing what he's done. And when he's sort of like, she falls forward onto the table. And when he lifts her back up, the Arctic hair statue has been driven into her eye socket by the force of her falling. Allison, she is dead. She is unfortunately now dead of what is clearly a um, horrific injury versus an untraceable pill. Yeah. He calls not great. Yeah, he calls Dr. Kubler, Kubler in a fucking panic. It's like, she fell on Arctic hair. I don't know what to do. And Dr. Kubler says, okay, um, you have to get that body out of the apartment. You have to throw it in the fucking ocean and play the, pray the sharks do the rest and never call me again and hangs up. Allison, I'm asking you at this point in time, what would you do? What would you do? I... I would not throw a body in the ocean and, like, like finger cross, it works out. Like, I just don't trust the world enough for that not to end up. I don't up trust sharks at all. I don't trust them. I don't trust sharks. I mean, and we shouldn't. Um, I think that I would call, like, 911. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would lay out the story that she was eating her soup. She started choking. I gave her the Heimlich. Yeah. She fell. This happened. It's an accident. And, like, just set up, like, yeah. that this is an accident and this is, like, un- a, you know, a terrifying consequence of, like, what I was trying to do was to save, you know, just, like, get ahead of the story a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, like, I guess it's, like, would they test the soup? But I guess if it's untraceable, maybe it wouldn't show up. But I, I don't, yeah. that's probably not a real, that's not an accurate I mean, if way you're, of- I would assume also, like, for someone, if they're, I would, I would assume that choking is a oh, possible normal thing that could be happening that it wouldn't raise suspicion. Yeah. That's a great point. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't do what he's about to do, which is he is... um, going to stuff her in a chest and hit her legs don't fit. So he takes out an electric saw like you'd cut a turkey with. Oh, sure. And before he does, he looks at their wedding album and sees like all these beautiful photos. Literally, you've just looked at your wedding album and now you're going to try, you're going to cut your leg, wife's legs off with an electric saw. Allison, he starts to cut them off right at the knee. As soon as the saw hits her leg, she wakes up screaming. 
and like jerks up out of the chest. How? She wasn't dead. She was just badly injured. And in his panic, he grabs the hair. And so when she falls back, the hair gets pulled out of her eye socket, which starts start, starts gushing blood. So oh, yeah. now she's dead because she's bleeding out from her eye right. socket and she falls back into the chest. She's dead now. But to be fair, now he can actually dismember her under the watchful eye, eye of these Arctic hairs. True. Puts her in the chest and takes her to the elevator. Of course, as soon as he gets the elevator, this couple also on his floor is like, hold the door, hold the door. And he's like pressing like the door closed, like, no, 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 no. Of course, luckily, right before he gets the, the other couple gets on, he's fine. The door starts, the elevator starts to descend, and then it gets stopped at floor nine, and it will not go further. And he starts to panic, and he ends up prying open the elevator door, and he sees Mrs. Avery, and she's like, oh my god, is that damn elevator broke again? You're right, this is a horrible elevator. I'm going to call the police to come help you. And he's like, please don't call the police. I'm fine. I'm sure the elevator will be working in momentarily. And she's like, I'm going to call the police anyways. Allison, the doors close, and when Wendell looks down, it's still not moving. Blood is just draining out the bottom of the chest. So the floor of the elevator is covered in blood. There is no way around it. And he is trapped in the elevator. Desperate, Wendell is like, what do I do? What are the options? If the police are coming, they're going to find me here. And they're going to be like, what's in the chest where all the blood's coming out of? You know? Yeah, not to, that would be question one. Not to, not to give the cops that much credit, but like, you know. It might I think they up. could hopefully piece that together. So he stands in the chest to try to push the panel out of the top of the elevator, but he slips and falls onto the ground. So now he's covered in blood, like soaked in blood himself. So now even if he were to get a, yeah. get out of there, it's like you can't walk down the street and be like, what, who, me? Yeah, like, they would piece covered it together. In blood. Yeah. Yeah. So he he's just like, now he just starts to have a breakdown. He takes out his wedding ring and he screams, I wish I had never. And of course he stops himself before he said, married you. But then he throws his wedding ring across the elevator. Just then, Allison, he hears a moan from inside the box. And the lid pops open. Just then, the elevator drops. And the, it start, drops, starts dropping fast. Like, it's just zooming past, um, like, the normal floors. It hits the lobby, hits the garage, hits the basement. And then it keeps going. Right? And he runs to the little window. And instead of seeing the floors pass, he sees memories from happier times with Carol her hmm. being able to chew, proposing to her, laughing, her not having an uh, Arctic hair stabbed in her eye, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, the elevator starts dropping so fast that the blood starts flying up in the air, like, in droplets, and he and the case start floating. So it's basically like they're, it's dropping so fast that, he, that he's becoming weightless. Suddenly, because the case and the little lid starts to pop open, Carol's corpse flies out alongside him and her face is now this grotesque corpse parody of her face with a a streaming bloody eye socket. Like the blood, it's flowing up and she flies to him and she's holding his wedding ring and puts it back on his finger before kissing him. And they're sort of kissing and floating. And the best part of what I thought is like, so she's kissing him and then he just like goes in and he embraces her and they're just like there. He's kissing her back. Finally, the police open the door and they find Wendell on the floor and he's holding his wedding album next to the, tr- the trunk and he's mumbling to himself in sickness and in death till death we part in sickness and in death till death do we part back at Raven's End. Montgomery has a huge smile on his face like that was a good one, huh? And Sam goes, I didn't like that story. And his face like, oh, like just like immediately deflated. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and he's like, he was punished for doing what anyone would do. And Montgomery's like, well, that's an interesting way to look at it. The point of what the story is like, he couldn't escape his fate. Like once things were in motion, mm-hmm. then this is what's going to happen. Okay. And she's like, well, what happened to him? Like, did he go to prison? He's like, yeah, he's, he's actually committed to the Kirksdale Asylum, a vile and tragic place. Okay. Sam lifts a little hand statue and, he's, and she goes, also, what's this? And he's like, oh, you'd be surprised what we find in people's colons. So I think there was just like a piece of like something collected from a different body. Yuck. So he then takes Sam into the building's sub-basement, which is built, because like, this was built in the 1800s, they didn't have like giant refrigerators. So it's like, it has to be so far down into the earth that like the it's a natural refrigerator. Um, oh, terrible. I know. It's it horrifying <laughs> to think about. And it was built to keep the bodies cool. And so they go and the body, the coffin, the child's coffin has been lowered from the viewing room back into the sub-basement. And um, Sam says to Montgomery, like, I'll be honest, like, the stories you told are kind of the same. Like, it is about the universe, like, morally punishing you. and it, like, you're, you're, like he said, like, universal balance. Like, the idea that there is, you know, justice. And he says it's a timeless tale that needs to be retold. No evil deed goes unpunished. And he tells her, you're going to love this part. And he goes, they go to wheel the kid's coffin into the crematorium. And he says, This poor soul's journey has come to an end. From dust we started, to dust we return. Wait! And she stops and says, no, wait. I lied. I'm not here for the job. I'm here for this child. You say every evil deed goes unpunished, but you're wrong. In real life, bad guys get away with it all the time. And Logan, the child inside the coffin, is proof. She starts sobbing and telling him, like, it's all my fault. Can I see him one last time? Ooh. And Montgomery lifts the lid, and Sam looks down at the body of it, and Montgomery says, I want to tell you a story. So here's the story. We see a girl named Faye babysitting a little girl, Sally. As Sally goes to bed, and Faye's boyfriend, Bart, calls to convince her, basically, like, let me come over so we can make out. And he says on the call, it also just doesn't seem safe for you to be all alone with that psycho on the loose. It's never good in a small town when there's a psycho on the loose. Yeah, it's like you gotta you're get gonna, together. You gotta right. actually come over. How much trouble can I get in when there's a psycho on the loose? You know what I mean? Right. Um, Faye says, of course, like, no, you can't come over. I don't want to get in trouble. Like, just put an ice pack on it. Like, you know. And so then we switch to the killer's POV, and, and there's a killer watching Faye inside the house. And uh, we get a proper, like, 80s killer title card that says The Babysitter Murders. And we see a killer in sort of, like, a black cloth hooded mask putting a mask over it. It's a little porcelain doll mask sort of strapped to his head with leather straps. And that is my coworker, Ben um, Heathcote. (sighs) Shout out to Ben. Which, again, you would never know because you do not see this killer's face. But right. I was like, what anybody. a fun, and I also produced um, the the movie, but what a fun cameo to get, uh, a, to play a part in. Um, so shout out to you, Ben. And uh, we see this, uh, the killer sort of start creeping towards the house. We actually see that what we're watching is an actual movie, and the person watching the okay. movie is Sam. So she's on the couch watching it, and again, a beautiful house. And we see in the movie, like, Bart... That whole thing was was in the movie. Yeah. So she's watching a movie, right? And then we'll find herself in a similar situation. Sam walks into the kitchen to see there's a voicemail, and um, it's the Kublers. So this is actually uh, the Kublers' house, and their son, uh, Lucas, is asleep upstairs. And they say, hey, Sam, we're going to be late. Um, Can you just check on Lucas? He's got this habit of, like, 
He'll go to bed, but then he'll get up in the middle of the night and he'll just be playing in his closet. So just go make sure that he's actually asleep. But other than that, like, eat whatever you want in the house. Like, have fun. Sam goes to check on Logan. He's snoozing. And she returns to the kitchen and turns on, like, music, which seems stupid. That's, like, not a, a babysitter move, right? Yeah. She also starts making something from scratch, which is the only thing you eat is pizza or stuff that's already in the house. To make something from scratch is a bizarre move during a babysitting evening, right? Mm -hmm. And also, this kitchen has everything. There's literally a meat grinder. There's, like, I mean, like, every possible knife. There's a lot of accoutrement that is going to come into play, right? Scary. Because she's cooking and has the music on, she doesn't hear the breaking news, like, breaking into the babysitter, babysitter murders movie. And it says, there's a riot at Kirksdale Asylum following a power outage. Uh, we've heard reports that one of the inmates may have escaped. And the reporter interviews the police deputy, deputy and we see one of the other officers is Wendell, um, who we just saw. And uh, the deputy says, we can't verify if anyone's escaped, but we ask you to use an abundance of caution, so just lock your doors and stay inside. Mm-hmm. The movie cuts back, the news cuts back to the movie just as the killer in the movie cuts the power. Meanwhile, the power in the house that Sam is in starts to flicker as a storm rolls in, of course. She takes, you gotta have a storm rolling in. She takes, you gotta have a storm rolling in. She takes out the trash, and when she walks back in from the porch, we see one of the windows has been broken in. Okay. Um, Unfortunately, we hear sort of the voiceover from the horror movie of the killer, and as she walks, Sam walks back into the living room, Allison, she finds a soaking wet man bleeding from a head wound sitting on the sofa, just sort of gasping to himself. Sam rushes to the kitchen for a butcher knife, but when she turns around, the man is there and startles her and she drops it. And he says, can you help me? This isn't my house. No shit. And the phone starts to ring and Sam's like, um, you know, but they're kind of in the stalemate and he's, he's just acting strangely. He's not like really acting aggressively. And so she grabs a towel and tries to like dab the man's head, like where he's bleeding. And he says, what are you doing? Finally, the answering machine picks up, and you get the worst fucking voicemail you could possibly get, which is Mrs. Kubler screaming. She says, why are you answering the fucking phone? They're saying that killer escaped. The one who mutilated and killed all those kids. Lock the doors and stay with Logan. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) And we see both the man and Sam look around the room to see, like, children's drawings, a little bunny, like, realizing there's a kid in in the house. House. Sam grabs this man's hand, jams into the meat grinder, and then just starts meat grinding his hand before picking up a meat tenderizer and bashing him across the face. Unfortunately, Ooh. like, they're, he's bigger than her, and, like, it's on, right? So they're fucking yeah. brawling. She, he kicks her, like, basically in the stomach, and she flies across the room. He's able to get his hand out of the, the meat grinder. And okay. uh, he staggers in the living room, screaming incoherently. Um, and the phone rings. He's able to answer the phone, but he's so, he's just screaming, right? He's so incoherent. Right. Sam leaps on him, and he sort of is able to slam her into the wall and bites off his ear before he flips her over his shoulder and smashes her through a coffee table, knocking her unconscious. So physical. Yeah, right away. Like, it is like, it is like WWE Raw in here. In the movie, the porcelain doll-faced killer um, yeah. butchers the teens, and then we see him going up the stairs after the little girl. Okay. In reality, or our reality of the film... Yes. A man, we also see the man making his way up the stairs as Sam wakes up for, from her unconsciousness and we see, like, the parallel to her to the final girl waking up. Sam grabs a fireplace poker and then busts in on the killer, on the man, who is standing over Lucas's bed, which is empty. 
And he looks at her and he's like, where's the boy? And she looks and he follows her eyes to the closet. Allison, the power goes out and Sam attacks him. Like attacks, Sam just swings at the man and they are tearing that room apart, like feathers everywhere, like bedding. He punches her full in the face, like throws her against the wall. And finally, she's able to escape the room and is crawling down the hallway just as the Kublers arrive home. Unfortunately, she has the, like, um, the chain lock on, so they cannot immediately get into the door, so they have to run to the back of the house. Terrific. And she's able to make it to the top of the second story land, second floor land, like right near the stairs. And the man's mm-hmm. on top of her and grabs her by the throat, strangling her and says, where is the boy? And he's strangling her and she tells him, don't do this, you're not a killer. And he starts sobbing and he's like, you're right, I'm not. And he stands up and Sam follows him to the top of the stairs and he tells her, this is over. And she says, you're right. And she, sh- he, she shoves him over the stairwell landing, setting him pinwheeling to the floor Tumbling. below. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, the Kublers are still running around the house trying to get in. In the movie, we see our final girl, Faye, and the little girl, Sally, hug, only for the killer to awaken. Similarly, we are looking at the man's face, covered in blood. His eyes snap open. Mm-hmm. And Sam is... No one's ever dead and, until they're dead. Exactly. And Sam stands over him holding like what a big old... Their uh, TV which is like a big old-fashioned tube TV. She says, this is for ruining my dinner. And she smashes the TV down onto his face, crushing his skull. The Kublers run in. Sam is nowhere to be seen. And they scream, oh, my God, who is that? And Dr. Kubler picks up the TV and Mrs. Kubler screams, oh, my God, it's Sam, the babysitter. Sam, of course, being a gender neutral name. Yes. Sam was, in fact, the man who was watching Lucas. And, of course, we see on the TV news confirming that a killer did escape from the asylum her name is Charlotte Gibbons. She's known as the Boggy Bay Tooth Fairy. She's convicted of 12 counts of murder and 10 counts of cannibalism for eating children. And of course, they show her mugshot. That is the woman we have known as Sam this whole time. This whole time. Her name is actually Charlotte. And so and Dr. Kluber goes in. There's smoke coming out of the oven. Like, whatever she put in was still there. And his wife screaming that she can't find their son. <gasps> Allison... They open the door and you see sort of like in relief. It looks like um, we have like a rack of lamb. Like you can see the mm-hmm. rib cage. They open the door and they scream. Oh. Back at Raven's Edge, uh, Montgomery laughs and says, I see what you did there. A very funny line. He says, you, you buried <laughs> the lead to throw me off. And he's like, okay, so if you're the killer, why would you come back? And, and Sam, who was actually Charlotte, says, you have your collection of stories. I have my collection. She takes a hunting knife out, and we don't see it, obviously, but basically jams it into Lucas's jaw and pries out one of Lucas's teeth and takes it as a souvenir. She's there for teeth. She's there to take a child's tooth that she intended killed and was going to eat part of his body. Did you see Sharp Objects? Did you watch that? No, you, you know, I think I would just, I, I, I did read it and I liked it, but I tried to watch the show again. I was just so bummed out. I just wasn't. But it, it was is good, dark, though. I remember. It was good. Yeah. But again, teeth are part of it. A lot of teeth stuff. A lot of teeth stuff. Um, Sam says to Montgomery, you won't tell anyone, will you? And he says, of course not. But of course, that's not enough for her. She stabs him in the torso, and he sort of collapses to the ground. She's like, I'm sorry, but in real life, the bad guy does usually win. Of course, Allison, as she turns uh-huh. to leave, Montgomery starts laughing maniacally and tells her, oh, I loved it, but you've committed one, the one storytelling sin. You've underestimated your audience. And when mm-hmm. he takes his hands away from his torso, of course, there's no blood. But instead, a thick, bright green ooze emerging from his torso. <sighs> and the room starts to shake. And he tells her, congratulations. The job is yours. 
Sam runs out the front door to escape, only to find when she opens the door and walks through, she's walking back into the funeral home, right? So she cannot actually leave anymore. And Montgomery, he keeps appearing behind her in different places. Like, there's no use in running. She springs past him into the library, which is full of books, full of stories of all these people who have died and passed through the mortuary. And Montgomery appears sort of on, like, a a landing above her and says, I was just like you. I thought I was a traveler on the edge of human experience. Shout out to Hellraiser. I thought I was immune. I thought I was above morality until I found myself here in this assignment. This Mm -hmm. library is full of stories. And Sam, what I think is going to be tough for you is a lot of these stories are yours. And as we see a dozen books fall off the shelf and fall open and out of their pages crawl the burning blackened corpses of her child cannibalism victims. Holy shit. Including a literal baby who is crawling towards her. And Montgomery tells her no one escapes. No one escapes their fate. And Sam screams back, no, I am the master of my fate. I decide how my story ends. And Montgomery says, no, my girl, your story is just beginning. And the kids all descend on her and start like tearing her apart with their little, their remaining teeth shredding her and devouring her. Christ. I mean, good. Absolutely. Later. Horrifying. (laughs) Later, we see Montgomery working in the lab late this night. And in the morning, he's back Mm. in his office as dawn breaks. And he lifts the hood off of the preserved butterfly. And its wings start flapping. And the butterfly is allowed to leave. Which, of course, he takes as a sign that I could probably leave. And he opens the door and walks outside, seemingly for the first time in decades. It seems like he's been there at least, like, if not 100 years, close to... Yeah. And he walks out. Unfortunately, Allison, as soon as he gets, as he gets, gets hit by a beam of light, he fucking explodes into a, a thousand pieces and turns into ash. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on the slab, Sam, we know is Charlotte, wakes up and she looks into a mirror and she shrieks. She is sort of a patchwork person that Montgomery has sewed back together and Frankensteined. Oh and outside, the help wanted sign falls off onto the grass. And we see her sometime in the future... Now behind, now sort of giving a look, sort of Victorian, she has makeup on to cover mm. her scars. Okay. Um, she shuts the book that she's been reading this whole movie from, and she is sitting across from the newspaper boy who is taking notes on the story. And he says, um, I, you know, I should probably get going. And Sam stands and smiles and says, oh, but I was just about to make dinner. The Mortuary Collection. Wow. Um... Allison, what are some fatal mistakes you think people may have made in these stories? Fatal mistakes. Here, we could run it down. um, Well, so the the overall arch... Well, we'll do that one last, actually. So the first story, um, Octopus Void Behind the Medicine Cabinet. Don't fuck, you know, real fuck around and find out vibes there. You know, you don't go through other people's stuff. As much as we want to see what's inside everybody's medicine cabinet, even if it comes a-knockin'. It's just not your business. I always think of it. I don't know if anyone's actually ever done this or if this is from a sitcom. Like, the idea, like, so you open it, a medicine cabinet, it's full of marbles. So as soon as you open it, everyone knows you did it because all like the marbles fall over the place. Is that a that's real like thing? That's like a thing. I don't know if it's a real thing or if it's a TV thing, but I know it, ex- like, that's, yeah. Like, also, like, how would you do before. that? Yeah, I, I have a lot yeah, of questions. Yeah, seems very complicated. Um, and then the college one, don't, 
fucking take off a condom when you're fucking somebody. I'm sorry. That is assault. You should be in jail. I don't think you should don't be sorry that. about that. I think we all know that, right? I think we all know yeah, that yeah, by now. We all know that. That guy kind of had what come, what was coming to him, and I, I don't feel a ton of sadness for him. <laughs> I do wonder why, like, for me, it's like Sandra. It's like, Sandra, what's the plan here? What are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, you keep having all of these kids... Yeah, like what's going on with you that you can get a man pregnant? Well, yeah, we'll never, we're never going to be able to answer that. And like, yeah, like what's that, with your family? Also, it's like the implies the family yeah. didn't give her enough information. Because it's not like the family's like, oh, excited. Like, oh, good. They're we like, need her to do this to propagate our species. They're like, Sandra, come on, rein it in. Yeah. Which is a very funny, but I, I guess yes. a funnier option. Um, and then the, 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 don't kill your spouse. Yeah. If, they're, they haven't told you that that's what they want if they're in a catatonic state. Yeah. That is not your decision to be making. Exactly. Uh, relationships are all about communication. So if your spouse wants you to kill them, um, they will communicate that to you. I think we feel... Also, if you've been married for a long time, like end-of-life planning and and living wills are really important to have in place. I also think maybe this is like, I understand what we're supposed to like be like, oh, you know... Um, another year doesn't sound that long. Like, I feel like it must be grueling, but it is I, not, um, I, you know what I mean? It's not like it's like, oh, it's, not, it's 15 it, years. It's I don't not, know. Yeah. It's not killer. Yeah. You know, I agree. It's not a killer time <laughs> frame. Um, and then the, um, sorry, the story about Sam, the baby, the babysitter killer story. Oh yes. Well, which, which is a great title because it's like, oh, it's a babysitter killer, but it's also a babysitter killer. Babysitter killer. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I get, like, having kids? No. <laughs> I know. It's like Sam, the babysitter, he couldn't have known that there was going to be this asylum break. Right. And, like, it all feel, yeah. I That that one, I feel like everybody it's kind of out of their was hands. in a scenario that they couldn't control except for the real Sam or Charlotte or right. whatever. Um, and then, you know, she really got what was coming to her and yeah. don't be a murderer, you dumbass. Yeah, I think once you're killing and cannibalizing kids, and this is like, I think speaks to, for me, like this is, I think something we talked about on the podcast, but I was like, well, but she, she can't really be like a child murderer and a cannibal. She's too hot. Like she's like mm, a hot blonde. I was like, I'm sorry, blonde, hot blondes are, are not going to cannibalize people. But that's you don't I, need that. But also, it's like that's what I'm carrying in the world. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, oh, an right, ugly right. person. Oh, an ugly person would need a baby. Okay, everyone has right. to be fat bastard. You know, come on, <laughs> grow up. Hot people yeah. can eat babies too. Everybody, yeah, right. Um, they can do anything. They can do Literally. anything we could do. Yeah, hot. The hot and the ugly must join forces to not eat babies. That's all yeah, I'm asking. I think that that's the moral of this entire film, <laughs> yes. and, and, and a lesson we should all take moving forward. Um, and then finally, where would you put the mortuary collection on the spooky scale, Allison? A spooky scale. I feel like this had like real highs and lows, like real silly moments mm-hmm. that like, and like, again, like anthologies are tough because like the seeping feeling of dread that I think usually kicks things up a couple notches yeah. doesn't exist when you have such short stories and films. But like, I think that this is like solidly like a, Five. Okay, great. I think like some some real gross stuff and some real horrific behavior, but again, like all kinds of kooky characters and kind of the umbrella of like stories within stories just takes me out of it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Um. Wait. Wait. What, what number did you pick? I said five. Five. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three. 
Because I, okay. I really did like and was found spooky the babysitter killer that segment. The thing about mm-hmm. pregnancy again, like I, I really enjoyed this, and I thought also like the framing device was very clever, and I really yes. enjoyed everyone's performance. But the, the the moments of comedy again cuts the spookiness, which again because the spooky scale is merely how spooky spooky we found something not to be enjoyed. Not just enjoying it. Or not. I thought this was a ten. I thought this was an absolute yeah. blast. I had fun. Super fun. Um, but in terms of actually scares, and I did find Till Death. So actually, I'm gonna say a four because I do think yeah. Till Death really I found very unnerving and scary. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm gonna give it a four and a ten Great. for pure uh, pleasure. And um, not that that's a scale that we use, but um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Yes. Um, all right. Well, I'm probably going to have to head back to the bathroom, so I'll, I'll let you go. But um, Allison, always a pleasure. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please. Please. Until next time. Keep, keep it, it spooky. spooky. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder, recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today.